It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Kyle Kondik, welcome. Managing editor, Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball. So you know everything in Virginia, don't you? Uh, I don't know if I know everything, but I try to keep up with it. Well, for the, through the University of Virginia Center for Politics, you and Sabato have to stay on top of this stuff. And so you guys are like the mastermind. So I have one fundamental question for you. What is happening in Virginia? I mean, look, I think it's a, it's a close, uh, competitive gubernatorial race, which... Uh, I, I think you could sort of expect, at least from history, in that, um, you know, the Virginia governor's race is one of the first big state level races anywhere uh, after a presidential election year. You know, there, there aren't that many other big races in, in you know, in the odd numbered year after presidential. Uh, and the Virginia governor's race uh, pretty often ends up breaking in favor of the party that does not hold the White House. If you go back to the 1970s, only one time has a presidential party candidate won the governor's race. Um, that actually was Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic nominee this time, and McAuliffe won in 2013. Um, it's also always an open seat race because Virginia is the only state where uh, a governor cannot run for, uh, you know, run for re-election. Now you can come back and run again, which is what McAuliffe is doing, uh, is doing now. Um, but that's just sort of historical factor, uh, you know, helps Glenn Young and the Republican candidate. Also, the fact that, you know, look, I mean, Joe Biden and the Democrats aren't as strong as they were maybe a few months ago. And I think that has a bearing on the race, too, that, uh, you know, Republican enthusiasm, I think, is is up that that shows up in polls. But also another thing that shows up in polls is that. Virginia's become uh, definitely a, a, a more democratic state, you know, than the nation is as a whole, certainly. Um, and that's a factor that could end up helping uh, McAuliffe in the end. You got some funky rules in that state. <laughs> that's what. That's uh, yeah, what I take Absol- ab- absolutely. It's one of the I think there are maybe like four or five states that have, uh, you know, governorships in odd numbered years. So New Jersey's also this year. You've got Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi in uh, coming up two years from now. But but, but um, you, uh, but you it, guys- it ensures that Virginia is always sort of in the political spotlight because either you have a federal election every even numbered year or you have uh you know statewide races and the state house of delegates this year two years from now it's going to be the state senate so there's always something going on politically in virginia yeah um hmm. you guys have put handcuffs on term limits if you can only hold office <laughs> for right. four years, then move on. But you can can come back, which is what McAuliffe is trying yeah, and, to do. Yeah, and it's it's only happened one time before, uh, and that was Mills Godwin, who was a was was basically the last uh, kind of uh, conservative uh, Democrat elected in 1965, and then he came back in 1973 as the Republican nominee, as the state sort of realigned. You know, Virginia, like so many other Southern states, had this sort of conservative Democratic tradition, and then kind of evolved into a. Um, um, traditional two-party state. Virginia was pretty Republican state for a long time, uh, but now it's sort of transitioned to being more of a Democratic state. Yeah, so that's the only time it's happened, huh? I believe so, at least at least certainly in wow. modern history. And so okay. McAuliffe's trying to be the second, you know, repeat governor again, even though he's not technically the incumbent in this election, he might as well be given that he was just the governor um, from mm-hmm. 2014 to 2018. Yeah. When you, um, in a broad sense, when you scan the state, how do you break it down? Or analyze it. 
Uh, you know, I think you can you can sort of look at it politically now as as you know, there's this area. I guess you could sort of broadly group the three big urban areas together as what some people call the urban crescent. So you've got uh, Northern Virginia, which is a you know a big source of votes and particularly big source of Democratic votes. You've got the Greater Richmond area, which um, there's been some Democratic trend in that area too. And then you've got Hampton Roads, which is, uh, you know, Virginia Beach and, and Norfolk and some of those some of those places there. And that's traditionally a swing area. Um, Virginia Beach is usually kind of a Republican leaning swing city. Uh, it's a uh, place that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and then voted for Joe Biden in, in 2020. So you've got those three areas and together they cast you know, two thirds or more of the statewide vote. And then you've got kind of the rest of the state, which is definitely more Republican, um, kind of overwhelmingly Republican, you know, outside of uh, some some areas. I mean, Charlottesville, where the University of Virginia is, is a very Democratic place. There are other kind of college towns, city of Roanoke, et cetera. But, you know, Democrats used to compete uh, in Western Virginia. And in fact, when Mark Warner first won the governorship way back in 2001, he um he had some famous ads with NASCAR and, and was sort of trying to appeal to kind of culturally conservative Democratic voters in that part of the state. And Warner actually, you know, historically had done pretty well uh, in Western Virginia. But um, just like every other Democrat, his re- support has receded in that part of the state. But it's grown in, um, you know, Northern Virginia and some of the bigger, you know, suburban, exurban areas. Um, and so for, for Democrats in Virginia, it's, it's basically a good trade off because the Republican growth in Western Virginia is um more than trumped by the democratic growth in the, in the places that basically just have more people. Mm-hmm. I remember the night when Obama won in 2008 and a Democrat had not won in Virginia, I think since 1964, right. uh, if memory serves that, that, that was, that was really, that, that was a tremor that time in that election, which I think portended for a good night for Obama early on. My simple analysis is this, you know, w- with, with the deep blue growth of Northern Virginia across the river from Washington, D.C., and the deep red growth in the rest of the state, it's how many votes does McAuliffe run up in Northern Virginia versus how many votes does Youngkin get in Southern and Southwestern Virginia? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a totally reasonable way of looking at it. And, and look, I mean, you know, there are, um, you know, we used to think of, I think if, if you were like from the perspective of 2008, you know, that breakthrough election for Democrats, as you mentioned, you know, you would have looked at some of the bigger counties in Northern Virginia as being like swing counties, like Loudoun County, for instance, Prince William, which are kind of like suburban, exurban D.C. counties. Uh, and Rico is another one in the Richmond area. And, you know, over the past dozen years or so, those counties have sort of transitioned into being more like Democrats. Democratic counties, you know, Democrats in in good years will win, you know, by by 20 plus points in those places. You know, can Young can cut that into the teens? You know, can he even cut it to single digits? You know, that's maybe what what a a victory would look like, because you got to for Youngkin, he's got to you know tamp down the Democratic support to to some level uh, in Northern Virginia, and then kind of run up the score in much of much of the rest of the state. You know, I mentioned Virginia Beach earlier. Youngkin spent uh, a little bit of his youth. I think he went to high school in uh, Virginia Beach. Um, you know, that's a place that, that a Republican has to win, and it's one of the larger sources of votes of any individual mm-hmm. you know city or county in the state. Um, so that's really a place that I'll definitely be watching on election. Yeah. You mentioned Enrico. Uh, that's like my favorite county in Virginia because it, <laughs> it, it doesn't look like that when you pronounce it, right? That's in the uh, Richmond area. Um, yeah, it kind of wraps, it kind of wraps around uh, the city of Richmond. And again, yeah. it's another, you know, 
uh, just like a lot of other places across the country. You know, it's a, it's a suburban, exurban county that, uh, um, you know, used to be really Republican and and has, has since become more Democratic. Yeah. yeah. Who was in Rico, by the way? Do you know? Pop I don't, you got you got me on <laughs> that like, one. I do not know. It begins with an H, by the way, not an E. Uh, you mentioned the, Bi- right. the Biden headwinds. Tell me about that. There might be a visit. McAuliffe said this week on MSNBC that it was coming, would not give a date. That's understandable. Uh, but is is Biden a drag that could be more prominent in northern Virginia than elsewhere in the state, given exposure to Washington, D.C., which ultimately could help Youngkin? I, how do you analyze that factor? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Biden's, you know, approval rating is uh, is net negative across the country. Um, you know, it's it's probably either a little bit negative or maybe, you know, about break even in Virginia. But Fox News put put out their own poll, you know, within the last uh, within the last day that had um, uh, that had Biden's approval slightly positive in Virginia, which seems kind of reasonable to me. But, you know, given that Virginia is more Democratic than the nation now. But, um, you know, you do wonder if there is a you know, there's always kind of an enthusiasm problem for the presidential party in these off year elections, be it a Virginia gov- gubernatorial race or uh, potentially for the midterm next year. And if you sort of pair that with maybe dissatisfaction with uh, how things are going in Washington, you know, there's been just a number of kind of negative developments for Biden, the Afghanistan withdrawal, um, which was one of the kind of the catalyzing event that I think turned his approval negative. But, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. You've got, you know, inflation and the supply chain problems, which maybe nibble on the margins of his uh approval rating. And, um, you know, Democrats are, again, they're challenged in in kind of drumming up enthusiasm. And, and if, you know, Biden doesn't look that great. And also, you know, you've got the Democrats trying to figure out this big social spending package and whether they can pass this bipartisan infrastructure bill. You know, Washington, controlled by Democrats, maybe looks a little ineffective right now. And again, I do wonder if that causes some sort of problem for, uh, for Democrats. So, you know, look, McAuliffe, I'm sure felt a lot better about his standing in the race, you know, when Biden's approval nationally was like 55% as opposed to now when it's on average is really close to 45%. Mm-hmm. You know, my co-anchor Dana Perino and I, we, we like the data. We like the nitty gritty of races like this. And we like to dive deep into the numbers. I said, I'm going to talk to Kyle on Friday. And I said, you got a question for him? And she said, ask him what he pays attention to that no one else does. You got a good answer? Um, well, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I have been looking at the early vote stuff, which I think most people probably don't look at. And also, you know, you can you can also look at it and decide that it probably doesn't tell you all that much. <laughs> and that's sort of where I'm at with the early vote stuff. So, you know, a lot of states like uh, like Florida, for instance, you know, Florida has a long tradition of people voting by mail or voting early in person. And so, you you know, we know in Florida that, you know, the lion's share of the electorate votes before um, before Election Day. And that's been true for years there. Now, you know, maybe that changes a little bit party perceptions of whether you should vote in advance or not. You know, that's that sort of a thing. But, um, but so we know that about Florida. Virginia, on the other hand, is a state where prior to 2020, um, there was hardly any earlier mail-in voting at all. Less, you know, usually less than uh, less than ten percent of the whole uh, the whole electorate voted that way. And you know, you needed an excuse to vote early or to vote vote absentee by mail, et cetera. So the legislature legislature changed those rules in 2020, you know, right before the pandemic, which actually ended up being kind of a prescient in that you know a lot of people wanted to take advantage of early mail-in voting because of where the pandemic was last year. And so about sixty percent of all the votes were cast early. Um, either in person or by mail. 
This time, if you even, you know, even if you sort of take into account that a gubernatorial election is going to have less turnout than a presidential year election, um, the pace of the early vote, even if you take that into account, is slower this time. It's picking up a little bit. um, But if you're concerned about the Democratic position, um, that might be something to watch because we know, again, from across the country that, you know, Republicans are likely to dominate on Election Day. Now, it may also be, though, that people in Virginia just aren't really used to voting early. And they, they only mm-hmm. did it in 2020, and they're going to come back to voting um, on election day this year. But that's something to sort of monitor. But you know, it's something I've like been looking at. But I don't know if we could draw that many conclusions from it because, again, Virginia is not a state with, with a long track record of a lot of people that's, voting that's interesting. in advance yeah. prior to 2020. Uh, early voting started back on the 18th of September. I think it ends on the 24th of October. So that's what five or six weeks. But you're you're saying that you can't read much into the early voting. Yeah, I, I, I really I really can't, because, again, um, you know, it's not like we, you know, in, in 2017, for instance, I think only seven percent of the vote was cast earlier in person. You know, in the presidential election in Virginia, it was 60. That's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, what is the sort of um, what does it settle at, you know, over over the next several years? Like, how are Virginians voting? You know, do do, um, do, do a lot of them go back to voting in, in person on Election Day or do people, um, you know, take more advantage of the early voting options? We have a track record like that in other states to compare it to, we don't in Virginia. So it's not, I just don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, we've had Youngkin on the air a couple of times. McAuliffe has had an open invitation. He has not yet taken us up on that. Hope that changes. But I was watching an interview with him on Thursday. Uh, MSNBC, Andrea Mitchell, I think you may have seen that as well, uh, Kyle. But he was... Um, he went after Youngkin about these election conspiracy theories that Youngkin was talking about the other night. I did not follow that or catch that particular appearance by Youngkin, but that's what McAuliffe brought up. He says he's a Trump wannabe. Um, so here is a question for you. Do we know if Democrats run well when they run against Donald Trump, even though Trump is not on the ballot? We don't. I don't think we do know that, although I guess you could say that in California, a much more Democratic state than Virginia is, you know, Gavin Newsom was facing a recall. He ended up running ahead of his ahead of his, his the polls in that race. One one, it looks like by about a little under 25 points. Uh, and he was able to kind of nationalize that race against his, uh, you know, the the guy who would have replaced him as governor, as governor if he would have been recalled, Larry Elder, who is a. Uh, pretty conservative, uh, you know, person with the talk radio host. Um, and I think Newsom was able to sort of basically remind people of Trump through Elder. I think McCall's trying to do the same thing with Youngkin, but Youngkin, I think, isn't as easily tied to Trump in part because, you know, he's not a boisterous radio talk show person. Um, you know, I think Youngkin is plenty conservative, just like I think McAuliffe is plenty liberal, but he doesn't he doesn't necessarily convey this sort of Trumpian vibes. I think Youngkin is more like a, he has kind of like more of like a Romney, Paul Ryan kind of uh, kind of you know, hmm. uh, uh, attitude, I guess, or the, the sort of image. Uh, and so, you know, ultimately any opportunity that McAuliffe gets to tie Youngkin to Trump, he's going to take. And there was a, uh, a rally uh, that Youngkin was not at in Virginia a couple couple days ago that uh, Steve Bannon, uh, you know, the person who's, you know, has been close to president, the former president worked, Trump. Worked in the White uh, House so in the, the early days. Yes. Continue. Yeah. So McAuliffe, uh, you know, McAuliffe has tried to make hay of that. And, uh, you know, I think McAuliffe is the one essentially trying to nationalize this race. He wants to make it about national issues. 
um, wants to remind people about, you know, that Trump has endorsed Yunkin, et cetera. Whereas Yunkin uh, and, and, and McAuliffe is bringing in a lot of big figures. You, you mentioned that Biden is probably going to come campaign for McAuliffe. Pres- former President Obama is coming. Jill Biden is coming. Stacey Abrams, from the former uh, gubernatorial nominee from Georgia, who's a big national uh, presence on the Democratic side. She's she's going to campaign for McAuliffe. That's a lot. Whereas Youngkin really. Yeah. Youngkin is really not bringing in you know, big kind of, I'd say, I guess, celebrity or prominent Republicans. Um, he is, uh, and, and I think that that shows that he wants to sort of be his own person. He doesn't want to nationalize the race because I think he realizes that he needs some crossover support. And if he's, you know, if he's out campaigning with Donald Trump or um, or other kind of big name Republicans, that kind of plays right into McAuliffe's strategy of, mm. of nationalization. Kyle Condit, great stuff. Stand by more in a moment here on Hammer Time. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back with Kyle Conduct, managing editor Larry Sabato's crystal ball from the University of Virginia Center for Politics. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Just a, a few more questions as we try and run down what the state of play is in Virginia. On the issues, here at Fox, we've covered the education issue in depth. And I don't know how you figure that into the big vote, or is that something we wait to determine based on the results after they come in? I'd say it's more the latter, which I guess is kind of a cop out answer. Uh, I, I will say, and I just go <laughs> well, back. Well, to the, you are the, the guest, so the, the the Fox News poll that that you all put out, which is a poll that I, I really respect, a good track record over the years. Um, but that poll, I think, indicated that you know I think that Coloff made this comment at the, the second debate in which he said, you know, I I don't uh, I don't think teachers should be, or I'm sorry, I don't think parents should be telling teachers what to teach. Essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but um, and the Youngkin campaign has really run with that in their advertising and. And they've been using that as as something I think that they think they could hurt McAuliffe with. And I think what that poll indicated, as I read it, is that that comment was, you know, it's not something that a majority of Virginians agree with. And that on education is an issue that Youngkin and McAuliffe are are pretty close to in, in terms of who voters would trust on that issue. You know, typically Democrats have more of an edge. And yet among parents, McAuliffe was leading by 10. And I don't know if you could say that that comment has necessarily like moved the race in favor of Yunkin. So it's not obvious to me that education as an issue is really popping in this race. Now, if you see um, some of the suburban, exurban places like Loudoun County has been sort of a flashpoint for um, school board battles and education stuff this this calendar year. You know, if you see Yunkin run, you know, way ahead of what, say, Donald Trump did in Loudoun, um, that might be an indication that the education issue actually actually worked for him there. Um, But it's not it's not obvious to me from the polling yet that it's it's been a big factor in the race. Oh, very interesting answer there. And we'll, we'll put that on the back burner and see how it comes out. I was looking at history for the governor's races. I think generally the association that people make the Virginia politics today is that it's a it's a blue state. Now, we had a Democratic analyst on this week, Mo Alethe. I'm sure you're familiar with him from Georgetown. Sure. He disagreed with that. He kicked it to the curb. He said, Virginia's purple. And um, maybe he's right, but if you look at the history of the past dozen years, the governor races have been closer than one would expect. In 2009, the Republicans won. GOP won that. In 2013, pretty close race, but you had a third-party candidate that likely took votes away from the Republican. Democrats win. But in 2017, Democrats rolled. 
Northam, Ralph Northam blew out his Republican opponents. Do we think that is still the state of play for Virginia politics, or do we think it is still more of a purple middle of the road state? Your view on that is what? I think I think Trump was just not a very good fit for Virginia, uh, and he kind of hypercharged the Democrats uh, in, you know, in 16, 17, 18, 19 and 20, um, because, you know, Virginia, we there's some sort of uh, state or federal level election going on basically every year. Uh, but Trump, you know, he's not is not in the White House anymore. He's not on the ballot, obviously. And I do think that there might be sort of that that tide will will probably recede to some level. Now, the good thing for McAuliffe is that, you know, Ralph Northam won in 2017 by nine, Biden won by 10 in 2020. You know, McAuliffe can can afford some reversion uh, to, you know, from from Democrats and still still win this race. It's just a question of of how much is there. You know, I I don't think that Virginia is like a is like a bellwether state for the country anymore, like is, is a purely purple state. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's it's trending more toward being a blue state, but I, I think it is still competitive enough that, you know, Glenn Youngkin can win this race if enough things break for him. Mm-hmm. You're great, Kyle. Thank you so much for your time. I just have one last question for you. I mentioned the McAuliffe interview this week, and he, he basically had, without being prompted, a message for Washington, D.C. I wrote down the quote. He said, they need to get a deal done. Uh, that's a clear reference to infrastructure or build back better or, or both, suggesting that he is well aware that a Democratic majority stuck in the mud of D.C. politics has not been good for him or will not be good for him. How do you view that? Look, I think McAuliffe wants something positive he can point to, you know, from across the Potomac in the final days of this race, you know, because he, you know, he wants to, you know, say that, uh, uh, you know, the Democrats are getting getting things done. Um, and, you know, maybe uh, if Democrats are able to pass something before the election, that gives a little bit of shot in the arm to Biden, which, which you know, if you, if you believe that the president's approval is is important essentially everywhere, which I, I basically do, you know, if Biden's approval goes up a little bit, that's sort of the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And, you know, uh, uh, McAuliffe feels the most urgency here because so many other Democrats are not, you know, they're not on the ballot until for uh, until a year from now. Um, so they can think, oh, well, you know, we can we can wait and get this thing done in November or December or whatnot. But you know, here's the thing. If McAuliffe loses, they're going to be um, there are probably going to be some uh, particularly the moderates and swing districts in Washington who um, are going to be worried about, you know, their own fate next year. And maybe that has some sort of impact on Democrats ability to, to get what they want yeah. through. Uh, through Congress. So, uh, so, you know, certainly, you know, again, McAuliffe wants, wants to be able to point to something positive. And um, there hasn't been a lot of that from Washington over the last couple of months, which um, might be contributing, probably is contributing to why this is a, uh, seems like a very close competitive mm-hmm. race. Yeah, I've got a P, by the way, we're talking on Friday afternoon, October 15th. So whenever our listeners get to this, uh, things could change because uh, I'm holding in my hands an article from the Washington Post two days ago, Karen Tumulty wrote it. Uh, and the headline is a danger sign for Democrats in Virginia and beyond. The first line is Democrats are sweating the Virginia governor's race, which is turning out to be tighter than expected. We will see in the end, Kyle, if that is the case. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great stuff, Kyle. We will speak again. Kyle Conn. Thanks, Bill. Managing editor, Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball. We'll see if you have seen the future or not in that Crystal Ball. Thank you, Kyle. Have a great weekend. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.